Next up on the Renaissance Man podcast, we have R&B artist and radio personality, Miss Jones. Coming up, I talked to Miss Jones about which artist was her first introduction to hip hop, what it was like seeing our music become visual through fashion in the 70s and 80s, and how she looks back at her own career on the radio airwaves. Up next, Miss Jones. Let's go. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post. A show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. Be sure to share this podcast with your friends, your coworkers, your partner, your siblings. Share it with someone you think. Matter of fact, you know could use some of this good old-fashioned soul food. This week's theme is hip-hop is culture. If you know me, you know how much I love talking about hip-hop because it's more than just music. It's a lifestyle. It's storytelling. Globally, it shaped music styles, fashion, technology, art, entertainment, language, dance, education, politics, and media. And personally, it's been the soundtrack of my life. You know why? The music genre was born the exact same year I was. We're not kin of blood related, but you could call us cousins. I'm not saying the 50 years of hip hop have been perfect. There's been a lot of violence, a lot of drugs, a lot of misogyny, and much, much more. But to be honest, that happens in every music culture and genre. It also has the power to uplift us. There are so many MCs, past, present, and future, that are socially and politically conscious. Context is extremely important in hip hop. And it's exciting to see how the next generation interprets this art form. But in order to understand the artists of today, we need to understand the actual history of this genre. My next guest is a hip hop historian. She's an R&B artist who grew up amongst iconic musical legends in New York City and went on to become an icon herself on the airwaves. Coming up, I talked to Miss Jones about the evolution of hip hop, the fashion, graffiti, the parties, the DJs, and the consciousness that developed since it was first born five decades ago. Up next, Miss Jones. We can't celebrate hip hop without having my next guest on the show. She is a New York City radio trailblazer, R&B artist, and on-air personality who is a legend in this business. Last year, she became the new morning host show of 94.7, The Block, and check this, only woman to lead 
a major morning show in the area. And again, as hip hop turns 50, I can't think of anyone, anyone, anyone better <laughs> to talk about the history of hip hop. It is my honor to welcome the incredible Miss Jones to the Renaissance Man podcast. Welcome. Wow. Again, I was going to go, who's that he's introducing? <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you, Jalen. What up, though? <laughs> what up, though? Thank you, thank you, thank you for taking the time. I know you're so very busy right now. You're in Arizona with Jalen, my namesake, who you told me 18 years ago you was going to name him after me, and I appreciate that. So I know you're busy, but I got to ask you, what was it like growing up? And the story of projects in Queens. I have to, first of all, thank you so much for having me. And I've always, always been a fan. And when we had the conversation 18 years ago, it's just full circle being here now with my Jalen and you. So thank you. That meant the world that you, yeah, remembered. And he's over here to my right thrill. No, um, no. Growing up in Astoria was Probably just like anybody else's story growing up in the 70s. We didn't have a lot, but we didn't realize we didn't have a lot because nobody had a lot. But what we did have a lot of was double dutch, scalzy, kick the can, music, good food, and and you know, and friendships. Um, a lot we have we had a lot of good original. I want to say the original good times back in the seventies. Absolutely. And the beautiful thing about the seventies is I was a child of the seventies as well. Can you talk about living in New York city, the birthplace of hip hop, your first introduction to rap music and hip hop. My first introduction to rap music and hip hop in New York, I think I was maybe 11 or 12 and there was a station, but it wasn't really a signal. And you could only hear it late at night. And it was all the way at the end of the dial. So, <laughs> but it was the only place that you were getting the Crash Crew, the Cold Crush Brothers, the um, Grandmaster Fat Flash and the Furious Five. It was the only station. So you knew late at night, even though you were supposed to be asleep, that was the one place that you could get that original. You didn't know it was gonna stay or, if it was going to stay or go. Cause it was new and our parents hated it. They were like, turn that noise off. Right. <laughs> but the next day at school, your friends heard the same song, that one song and that one, you know, so you all connected on this new movement that it was, just, it was young. It was ours even back then. And they're going to be a lot of people who first got introduced to rap music through the Sugar Hill Gang or Rappers Delight, or the message with Grandmaster Flash and Melly Mel. But before we get to them, you brought up a couple of freestyle battle rapping groups that are so very historic. So can you break down for everybody about the Clash crew and the Cold Crush Brothers? Oh, yeah. So they were... Back then, I didn't know what I was listening to, but I knew it was two different groups and we didn't have video. So it's not like, oh, what does she mean? She didn't know. You had to really pay attention to the fact that there were two crews battling and then they battled so well that while you're like you're catching the punchlines and you're like, oh, 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 you're <laughs> you got to listen <laughs> to see 
is this real? Like, are they going to fight afterwards and what's going on? But there was so much excitement because once the show was over and the battle was over, you didn't know. So you came back the next night and did the same thing and listened all over again. So it was like a, it was like a silent movement, but it was kids your age doing this new um, spoken word art form on these grimy, grimy baseline beats that I don't know. The more my parents yelled, turn that off, it's noise, the more I wanted it. So it, it was just, it was always, you just wanted to know what was going to come next or who was going to come next. And when Sha Rock, the funky <laughs> four, and the, she was the girl that I remember before <laughs> Roxanne Shantae, she was the girl and she was amongst boy, uh, men. Uh-huh. So it was, it was, yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. And as you know, because you've embodied it for so very long and you've been a heartbeat of the culture, Hip hop clearly is more than just rap music. So talk about the years of growing up. I remember when we were breakdancing and taking moves from movies and things of that nature. Talk about the other elements of hip hop, in particular, graffiti, DJing, breakdancing. The clothing. And for me, I couldn't breakdance. I didn't even pretend to know how. But you would, after school, so I went to school in Harlem. Um, the fame high school, I want to live forever, music and art and performing arts, right? So it was on 135th Street and Convent. For those of you that don't know, that's like Sugar Hill, old school, a, a big black community. Um, mm-hmm. So after school, the rappers would come up there and be outside on cars, doing the break dancing mm-hmm. in the street, right? After school, all of this is happening after school because we couldn't get in clubs back, I mean, a 12-year-old ain't getting in a club. Although, if you were like 16 or 17, you could get into the rooftop. You could get into clubs like that and actually witness it. But what we could do is emulate them in our wardrobe. So we'd be like, did you see what old boy was wearing? Did you see the Adidas with the fat laces? Did you see the name buckle belt? And so (laughs) that became became a part of, of the culture without us even realizing we were just emulating what we saw on these kids that looked like us, that were from where we were from, doing this art form form that was undescribable. We didn't really know. So being from Detroit, I got a chance to see it play out via Rapper's Delight and The Message. Those were my like first visuals. As somebody that lives in New York and raised around the culture, and like you said, these are kids your age that you got a chance to physically see them in school and on cars. What was it like for you guys to now see hip hop visually? You know what, Jalen? We didn't know that it was hip hop. We knew it was rap. Like, um, yeah, it was called. I think it was called rap in the beginning, and it evolved. But to us, so let me preface this by saying I have two older sisters that are six years older than me. So they were on the tail end of disco when they Mm -hmm. used to do the spin and all that type of dancing and stuff. Mm -hmm. It phased out. So that became my sister. The disco became my sister's and them's music. And now this became a genre of music for us. So you didn't know what you saw again was, was going to be long lasting or even become be considered an art form. You just wanted to dress like the kids that you saw in the Beat Street movie. You wanted to dress like the kids that you were seeing 
um, in the street with the Kangos. You just wanted to be a part of that. And they made me believe that it could happen to me. And an important element of hip hop that I wanted to highlight separately is the DJ. Let's talk about how the DJ initially was the person who ignited the party. And then the MC had to basically get on the mic and be allowed to do so. You had to be blessed. The DJ set the scene. The DJ brought the speakers outside. The DJ stole the power from Miss Mary's window because <laughs> you had to have the electrical source. And the DJ was responsible for create for setting the tempo. Everybody thought they could MC, but the D it was the DJ's um responsibility to make sure that it was the right beat and 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 how to bring it up and then keep it at a certain level. And only certain MCs, like everybody had a different style, but what I, to this day, am most enamored by, and, and for those of you that don't know, I used to be part of Dougie Fresh and the Get Fresh crew. We would, I became the new Get Fresh crew. I became enamored by the difference in scratching, rubbing. I didn't even know until we would be at rehearsal and he'd be telling Chill Will or Barry B, put a rub there. And I'm like, what's the difference in a rub and a scratch? There's so many, I can't even lie to tell you that it's just scratching and rubbing, but there's a science even to that. So it all helps to paint the picture of the final, the final project, which is special. And the world's greatest entertainer, Doug E, has been a guest on this show as well. And that's another element of music, beatboxing. So tell me, what was that period in your life like as you were navigating throughout the industry. He was a phenomenon. And I like I played his records before I actually met him. I went to high school with Slick Rick. Mm. So Rick, we used to call him Ricky D. <clears throat> Rick created a rap crew in our school called the Kango Crew. And every day at lunchtime, they'd be on the lunch tables banging and rapping. So I heard Mona Lisa and all those songs that became his first album back in high school. And we were just sitting there like this. It wouldn't come until later when it actually made it onto wax that I heard Doug doing this beatbox thing. Um, and then they were, I think, the first rappers to actually make it to Top of the Pops overseas and actually yeah. cross, I don't want to say cross over, but become embraced by international um, audiences. Mm -hmm. And probably the first to make real good money, them and Run DMC, but Dougie and Rick negotiated. They were smart enough back then to see where this could actually go. And they monetized and they negotiated a way that they would get their master recordings back mm -hmm. after a certain amount of years. So the brilliance, the foresight and the talent and the skill and the Rick got so much style and mm -hmm. Dougie with the, Dancing, it's all, they're all, you know, we wouldn't have hip hop and the culture without all those little pieces. And I mentioned this to Dougie and Slick Rick, to me, is still the greatest storyteller that hip hop has seen. Oh, by far. One of the things that we got deprived of in rap music is that they only did two songs together. Yeah. A lot of Could people don't realize that. The Lottie Dottie in the show Two of the classic songs in the history of hip hop 
were the only two records they recorded. Yeah. And I think was a Lottie, Lottie Dottie, I think Rick already had that. Rick mm -hmm. already had that. And he combined it with the beatbox. And I think, I'm not sure. Douglas used to always tell the story, but they were both songs and they both decided that they would be more impactful if they joined forces together. Mm. So again, that vision and no ego because they both could have said, no, I'll do it myself. I'm fired on my own. And they didn't. So as we graduate into the eighties, because th this is a period of my life personally, like you mentioned, run DMC, LL Cool J, Eric B and Rakim, ARS mm. One, like so many different artists. Can you just recall how you remember hip hop evolving in the eighties? Um, again, it was kids that looked like us. One time in particular, self destruct the self destruction video. Classic. Ooh, another one of those. <laughs> we do. We're long overdue for another self destruction. Um. But again, it came from the pushback because at that point, the 80s, now they knew they had something and it wasn't going away. It was only growing. And and we were um we 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 were struggling. I mean, New York in the 80s under the regime that was in office, it oh. was hard. It was hard. Um, if you look at pictures of 42nd Street Times Square, to those of you that don't know, back in the 70s, 80s, it was a pterodome. It was a lot mm. of drugs. There was a lot of prostitution. So that song, through the eyes of young black teenagers, that was a pivotal. That was a pivotal moment, and the beat was crazy. How about that? Crazy, and also it became something that mainstream America couldn't really fight anymore. When Run DMC making songs like My Adidas. And they doing shows and no shoestrings in them and running deep, putting their hands up in the air. And now all of a sudden we're copying them. Or LL wearing his Kango or Slick Rick wearing his truck jewels. Mm -hmm. Just the, uh, the, the, the knowledge also that was in hip hop. I think a lot of times what people underestimate because this, this isn't what the radio promotes is the versatility of rap music. Yeah, yes. we see a lot of the gangster rap and we see a lot of the, those things be portrayed by mainstream media. But can you talk about some of the consciousness that you recall in hip hop as it continued to evolve? Absolutely. Again, New York seen through the eyes of young black teenagers that never imagined having a platform. That's all they had to talk about. They, they didn't have money to talk about, oh, my cars, oh, my bitches, oh, my. That was totally not it. They were talking about their reality, not somebody else's reality. And um, and I feel like it wasn't about the money. Correct. Because again, back then, there was no monetizing. There was no, oh, wear these Adidas and we're going to give you a million dollars. They were wearing it because it was really part of the wardrobe, probably yeah. affordable, probably more affordable than, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it was their reality. So they spoke. they spoke from a place of, this is my life. This is what it looks like for me. And I want better. And I know that there is better. And we, as a community, we need to take control and stop tearing our communities down. Like dilapidated mm -hmm. buildings, fires. The Bronx used to always be on fire. 
Wow. Like literally. And KRS one and them, they grew up seeing all of that. You know, hip hop, as much as I love to say it was originated in Queens, we know all those movements, this whole thing started in the Bronx. Yep. So when you hear these songs, the messages that we're hearing are the stories of what was going on back then. And it wasn't because of money. No one knew that there would be platinum records. No one knew that they were just doing it because music is therapeutic. Yes. Yes. And can you also, as somebody, as you mentioned, that was a part of the Get Fresh crew, you mentioned Roxanne, Shantae, I believe. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about the evolution of women rapping in the industry? Some of the artists that inspired you, some of the people that you were um, interviewing and playing their songs. Yeah. And that that would come much later on after I had already been a 14-year-old fan because Roxanne was in the next projects over from me. She was in Queensbridge and I was in Astoria. So oh, that wow. really became a, wow, this girl is my age and she's talking like that. We mm -hmm. didn't know Marley Mall. We, we knew of Marley Mall, but we didn't know how he had put all the pieces in place for her to be able to have a voice. And right, I don't right. even know if he knew at the time what he was about to create and unleash because then there was like 15,000 Roxanne's every week. There was a new. <laughs> <laughs> Roxanne Shantae, real Roxanne. <laughs> you remember, you remember. But, but they all look different. There was the Puerto Rican Roxanne. It was a, so again, it made it possible for the little Puerto Rican girls that were like, all right, we like this music too, but what about us? There you have it. And then, I think the the key was the guys like the LLs, the heavy Ds, they all realized that it was one thing for them to kick in the door and start getting actual conversations about how can we make money from what mm -hmm. we've been doing in these parks outside. Then they started escorting us in. They mm -hmm. started putting us on a verse, letting us sing a background hook. So I watched, I watched. And a lot of the women, you know, it's only so much like the guys had just started making their money. Yeah. So th there was nothing really for the women except an opportunity. And at some point you age out or you just want to do different things. But to those women that were able to stay the course, reinvent and come back, I salute. I salute the women yeah. in hip hop. Absolutely. And shout to some of those artists like Salt and Pepper, Queen Latifah, MC Light. So, Jalen, so I have an interesting story for you. Let me hear it, please. So... And I never tell the story, but Herbie Lovebug, the salt and pepper producer, mm -hmm. he told the story in Vibe magazine many years ago. I was the original Peppa. Really? I was. Wow. <laughs> so we all, so Herbie was part of a group called the Turnout Brothers. And um, um Kid from Kid and Play was in it. I think Play was in it. I know Ronnie Tuff, who was my boyfriend at the time, who would later on become the producer of Biggie Small's record, Hypnotize. Oh, wow. Yeah. They were all, they the, the Queens movement started boiling and they were doing parties. House Party, the movie was based on the Turnout Brothers going around in East Elmhurst and doing parties and getting on in people's living rooms, performing at these house parties. Wow. So. Saturdays, I would go over and hang out with Ronald because he was my boyfriend and Herbie was his partner. And mm -hmm. they said, we're going to put together a girls group. And it was Ronald's sister, Bernie, me, we were best friends, and another girl named Crystal. And they would write rhymes for us. And we practiced the rhymes and we did a talent show together. And we were Salt and Pepper. 
But then this was like senior year in high school and everybody's moms are like, wait a minute. You're not telling me that you're not going to college because you're going to be some rap girl. Like that's mm-hmm. not happening. So they went to Howard, Ronnie, Bernie, they went to Howard. I went to Syracuse. I don't know where Crystal went. And then they went and found um, Sherilyn Sandy at work at his wow. part-time job. But he tells the story how Ms. Jones was. <laughs> wow, that is legendary. And so as an artist and then becoming a DJ as your bread and butter in a lot of ways, you're also known for something else. Your no-holds-barred interviews with the hip-hop elite. So can you acknowledge, as you started to interview these artists, because as somebody that works in the media, sometimes you got to ask tough questions. You got to ask about certain beefs. You got to tell them whether you like their song or their video or not. So can you talk about how interviewing certain artists evolve and how some of those relationships were were affected? Well, Jalen, you know, because you do this, you know, it's not easy telling your friends who are trusting you to, I guess, be fair to them or be kind to them, but you have an audience and you also have a job to do. So as a journalist, you just hope that your friends respect the fact that, look, I'm not even making songs anymore. I got to put food on my table by doing this radio thing. And this is part of it. Now, I will say in hindsight, we probably had it a lot easier in the 90s and the early 2000s when artists would come up and I would interview them because things weren't documented on people's cameras. So you could let certain things go. You didn't have to tell it all. But Mm -hmm. you have to let the audience in as the culture evolved and as we had more access to platforms like radio because there weren't Black girls on the radio that had access to the rappers and the athletes like yourself the night before in the club. So you want to have, you want to be true to the audience and you don't always um, come up, come out on top, but you know, you can, hopefully you're able to manage the friendships later on because I used to tell them, be glad I didn't tell everything I saw. Correct. Correct. (laughs) You know. Correct. (laughs) All of the time. And that's, and I want to, I want to have you elaborate on that because when I started working in the media, the reason I earn respect of the players is because y'all know I'm only saying 25% of what I really know. I know you was at, I know you was at where you was at last night because I was there. I know who you was with. I know what time y'all got back. I know maybe what y'all was smoking and or drinking because I was doing it too. Yeah. So you earn your respect in theory, like you said, by not saying everything that you know about the foxhole. And 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 who they were there with. Yes. Meanwhile, wife is home. Yes. So and and yes. appreciate us because now with technology, I can't save you. Correct. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. But before I let you get out of here, Miss Jones, I have a rapid fire segment called Gone in 60 Seconds. You ready to do this? I'm ready. All right, so you back in Queens. What is the best place to eat? Oh, I'm going to uh, uh, what's the burger place? Jackson Hole, Wyoming. What has been your favorite concert or performance that you've actually attended? New edition. Ooh, 
last week. <laughs> Ooh. Was it all of them? Was it, it was Ronnie, Bobby, Ricky, Mike, and Johnny? And Johnny, yes. Oh, and they do this thing. They they swirl around real fast. So when Bobby needs to leave for oxygen, they don't even <laughs> you don't even notice that he leaves. It's wonderful. <laughs> I need And to Bobby see sounds that. great. That's historic. You're right. I need to go see that. And lastly, but certainly not least, because you've entertained us in so many facets. And you've been so very open throughout your career with your talent, with your voice, with your leadership. What's next for Miss Jones? Funny you should ask. I have a brand new single right here. No, <laughs> I have a new single. <laughs> it's called Calling All Ladies. Um, I just got a distribution deal with 300. So I'm ecstatic. Like literally yesterday when we were flying in, I got that information. And it's I sent you a copy so you'll be able to listen to it. And um and I also have a podcast. I did a deal with Nori and EFN of Drink Champs to oh. do the female version of Drink Champs. It's called Pink Champs. So I'm oh. excited about that too. Oh. Yeah. Shout to my people at 300. Shout to Nori and FN. I know you're going to crush it. And also I know you're going to own it because a lot of people don't realize in doing this podcast space, they wanted the shows that they actually own. Yeah. So I appreciate you. Thank you for sending me the single. I'm going to make sure I represent and best of luck in the future. Thank you very much. Ms. Thank you so much. When you come to New York, you got to pull up to the block. Done. 100%. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Done and done. Appreciate the love. Last call. Last call. I'd like to thank Miss Jones for stopping by the podcast. One thing that stuck out to me about Miss Jones is that not only is she a hip hop historian, she's also a part of this culture. She was at the parties. She grew up with the musical legends. She was behind the scenes on the airways for some of the most pivotal moments in this culture's history. And I'm glad as we celebrate Hip Hop 50, she is continuing to keep those stories alive. So I ask, you this. Which artist was your introduction to hip-hop? Mine was the Sugar Hill Gang and Rapper's Delight. Another one was the message Grandmaster Flash and Melly Mel. Don't push me cause I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. It's like a jungle sometimes that makes me wonder how Kiefer going under. Which were the songs that made you feel heard at the time? Because the message did it for me. Remember, music has the power to motivate us, to heal us, and to bring us closer together. Let it inspire you as you keep climbing higher towards your goals. I'm the Renaissance Man. See you next week. <laughs>